0: So many of you know that uh, our church is in the process, has now completed the process of transferring from one diocese into another diocese, and a diocese is a group of churches. Uh, We'll be praying about this um, during our prayers of the people. Um, But a part of this process, part of the uh, application uh, process into a new diocese is I've had to explain numerous occasions what it is that we do here, what we're about, who this church is, um, and Uh, This this most recent time, I was asked to write just a small paragraph describing our church, and I was like, how do I write just one paragraph that describes restoration and who we are and what we're about, especially after uh, the last six years of of being planted? But one of the things that I keep coming back to is that we are a church who takes seriously our name. The name restoration means something significantly uh, to me personally, to Molly and I. And as I talk with many of you, I hear the theme of restoration coming up again and again and again. Uh, This last week, we had a newcomer dinner in our home, and then we also had a membership class yesterday. And as we go around the circle and just share ways in which the Lord is at work in our lives, restoration is a common theme. Here at Restoration, we worship the carpenter of Nazareth who goes to the edge of town And he looks for the broken, for the crippled, for discarded vessels that he can use for his purpose. We also worship the great shepherd, the one who finds the lost sheep, who heals their wounds and brings them to good pasture. We worship the master of the feast, who prepares for us a table, who invites the hungry to come and to be nourished and to be fed there and eat with him. This is restoration. These are the kinds of stories that we tell over and over and over again that God rescues and restores sinners like me and like you. Now, restoration is absolutely a biblical word. It comes up over and over uh, throughout the Holy Scriptures. But there's other words in the Bible that also capture this same ethos. Words like rescuing, words like healing, words like reconciliation, words like redemption, words like salvation. And it's that last one, salvation, that I want us to focus in on today. You see, restoration is a salvation word. Salvation is a restoration word. So when you're restored, you're saved from chaos. You're saved from sin. You're saved from evil and darkness. And then when you're restored, you're you're given a new destiny. You're given a new name. You're given a new story, a new purpose. Restoration is salvation, So last week, we began uh, our our walk through the book of Philippians. Uh, We're following it according to the lectionary, uh, which means, uh, like this Sunday, we're given these really big chunks of Scripture, and there's just no way that we're going to move through it all in one 20-minute sermon. Uh, So I want to hone in on just one verse that I think encapsulates this. In verse uh, 12, Paul says, of chapter 2, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you hear the restoration in those verses? Do you hear the gentle tapping of, of the carpenter's hammer at work in those verses? Do you hear Jesus at work on those verses? Let me read it again. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there is a movement that happens in this restoration, that happens in salvation. And we're going to be, there's, a, there's a movement from something and a movement towards something. So I want to focus on these verses, and, and there's two things that I want to really pull from this. First is, I want you to hear more about the vision and the passion of this church and why we uh, are, are so obsessed and, and delight in telling stories of restoration. But also, I want you to see, I want you to, to, to have eyes to see the work of God in your own hearts. How he is working out salvation in your own hearts. What would that look like? So, we're going to talk about the meaning of salvation. We're going to look at the work of the Christian, and we're going to look at the work of God. Those kind of three movements is how we're going to be moving through this. So, like I said, salvation is spiritual restoration, but let's put a finer point on that. So, Salvation has a pattern to it. The first part is it is freedom from sin. You see, we as human beings are inclined towards selfishness. We're inclined towards envy and pride and mean-spiritedness and jealousy and lying. To be saved means that we're free from that stuff, that those things no longer have claim over us. They don't have power over us anymore. But salvation is also by grace. There's nothing that you and I have done to deserve the salvation of God. It is by grace. It's a free gift. It's something that He initiates, that that He does to us, and we simply receive it. There's nothing that you can do to earn the salvation of God. It is a free gift. It is a grace from God. We are saved by grace. But also, salvation is life into something, It's it's, it's being placed into a life of faith. And what do I mean by faith? I I mean that we're given uh, spiritual eyes to see the work of the Holy Spirit around us. We're given spiritual eyes to see the hope of of where we will be going someday. Faith is what allows us to see uh, the, the, the mysteries and the beauty and the goodness of God here and in the age to come. So notice the pattern of salvation. It is freedom from sin, it is by grace, and it is into a life of faith. Now, one thing that we can read this, this passage, and we can sometimes um, misunderstand uh, the, the status of salvation. Um, don't misread it. Salvation has already been achieved. That is what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. His death was was full and complete. He paid the full price for sin. There's no more salvation that that you and I have to um, kind of muster up in order for it to be a a complete deal. It's already done. Jesus has paid the price. Our salvation has been achieved. And the fact is is that Paul is is writing his letter to Christians, people who have been bought by the blood of Christ people who have been welcomed into the household, people who have been given the promises of God. Salvation has been secured by Jesus Christ. But what does it mean then when he says to work out your salvation, especially if there's nothing more that that has to be done to secure it? Um, When I was a kid, I used to love math. I'm not the best at it anymore, Um, I also know that a lot of you are in tech industries, and so I would assume that you have some sort of appreciation or a love for math. And so when you're told to work out a math problem, that's actually energizing for some of you. Others of you, it might not be so energizing. You might feel stress if I ask you to work out a math problem. But some of you love this. You love seeing, encountering a problem that is first complex and confusing and perhaps overwhelming. But because you believe that math is complete and it is perfect, then you trust that there is a solution that can be, uh, that must exist. In fact, as far as you're concerned, that math solution is as, as sure as a fact. And so what you're doing when you're working on a math problem is, you're taking delight in that problem. You're, you're working in faith that you're going to discover what that solution is. And in working out that problem, you grow in your appreciation of not just that problem and those who created it, um, but you're growing in your appreciation of the entire discipline of mathematics itself. Uh, you're, you're learning about the truth and the order of this world. Some of you are like, Can you please stop talking about math? Uh, <laughs> some of you are married. And even though you are married, and that is your status, is as a married person, you are still charged and expected to work on your marriage. Now, that doesn't mean that the marriage doesn't, uh, isn't complete or that what was proclaimed over you uh, wasn't full. It is full, but you are charged to work on your marriage. And as you do so, you're exploring the, the deep mysteries of your spouse the confusions that can sometimes be in your spouse and the delight and the understanding. I, I meant that kindly. I got a look when I said that. There's, there's work that Molly and I have to do in our marriage, yeah. <laughs> but this is a, a beautiful thing. And as you experience trials and challenges in this world, you're taken to new um, depths of appreciation as you work on that relationship with your spouse or, or with those who you are dear friends with. And as time goes on, you bear more fruit of those relationships. So what Paul is saying here is that you have obtained salvation. It is yours. The status has been decided. And it's your duty, it's your joy, it's your delight to explore what that means, to look into the various ways in which that salvation applies to your life. You're you're charged to understand it, to revel in it, to enjoy it. So do you hear the difference? It's not work out your salvation or else. It's an invitation to experience it, to participate in it. So let's talk about now the the work of the Christian. Now, it just strikes me that we're even, in the first place, called to work. In other words, it's your duty to work out your salvation. Paul charges this to all of us, you know, yes, we have a relationship to help our, our friends and our family along in their faith journey, but you also have a duty to yourself, an obligation to yourself. It means that, that you need to uh, pay attention to yourself, you need to tend to your heart, you need to find those, those quiet places that you can retreat to and, and, and still your heart and listen to the Holy Spirit and, and ways that He might be speaking to you and directing you. You have a duty to care for your soul to nourish for it, to to provide nourishment for it. But also, Paul says to do the work with fear and trembling. In other words, there's a sensitivity to the work. There's a delicateness to the work. When you're looking into the heart of a human being and you're you're looking at the presence of sin there and you're trying to extract that and you're trying to form new habits, that is a delicate, precious thing. It's not an instantaneous sort of thing, or at least it rarely is. Usually it takes much precision, much patience, a lot of waiting on the Lord in these moments. So be gentle with yourself as you work on your own salvation. So the Christian has a duty to work but also a gentleness to it. What about the Lord? What is he doing? Well, first of all, he's doing something, and and that also should be a shock to us. The Lord is active There is a God who sits upon the thrones of of heaven, but he has placed his spirit within us. What a gift, what a joy that the Lord of the cosmos, uh, the Lord of light and life and love is is actually dwelling within you at work. That should shock us. And so what that means is is that he, he, well, it, it means that even when we ignore him, even when we don't feel like he's there, or even if we willfully resist him, he's still there. He's at work inside of us. He doesn't give up on us, even though we ourselves might give up on ourselves. And so what does this mean for us? Well, it means that you ought to cry out to the Lord. When you feel despair, when you feel overwhelmed by the forces of this world, or, or just kind of the, the magnitude of, of sin and error in your own heart, know that, that you can cry out to the Lord and ask for his help. And he loves to answer that. He loves to answer that prayer and give you the, the resources of heaven in order to address it. So what motivates God? Why does he do this? Why does he even go to work inside of our hearts? Why does he place his spirit within his children? Why does he work for their good purposes? Why, why does God even do this? Is it because he saw your spiritual resume and he's super impressed? And he's like, oh, this person, they've got some good stuff going on. If, if, if I get to work at, on them, I'm going to have such a tremendous return on my investment in this moment. So I'm going to pick that person out and love them. I don't think so. Is it because he sees your heart? Is it because he knows that deep down inside you actually do love him? No, that's not either. It's not because of your will. It's not because of your works that he does this. He does this simply because he loves you. That's, that's the beauty of it. There, there's no other reason beside that. He's at work within you because he loves you. There's no other reason. If it, if it was dependent on your work or if it was dependent on your love, then that means that, that his presence in your life would be conditioned upon those things. And that's not grace. That's, that's earning someone's love. He is the God of grace. He is the one who loves you because he loves you. That's Bible logic for you. He loves you because he loves you. There's no other reason besides that. So we've talked about the meaning of salvation, we talked about the work of the Christian, the work of the Lord, but now what? What do we actually do in light of this? How do we actually get to work on these things? Well, we are a liturgical church. Um, what that means is that we have a, a certain order to our services. It means that there's kind of a, a call and response. Uh, sometimes we read our prayers. It's kind of a, a liturgical style, you could say. Um, but another way to define liturgy is as the work of the people. Have you ever heard that before? The work of the people? So what kind of work are we doing here? Well, in our common worship, we are working on our salvation, brothers and sisters. We are practicing precisely what Paul tells us to do. Remember earlier how I said that there's a pattern to salvation? It's freedom from sin, that it's by grace, and it's in faith. That is the same pattern that we repeat here every single Sunday over and over and over. There's, there's multiple times in which we do this. We ourselves are, are practicing the work of our salvation. Let me point out just a couple of these. So our service begins with what's called the, the collect of purity. Oh, Lord, open our hearts that we might see you, we might experience you. What we're doing in that moment is we're acknowledging our sin before a holy God, and we're inviting him into our lives to be present with us here as we worship him. But then we hear the reading of holy scripture upon us, That is a grace. That is a gift of God because in that, he points out ways in which we might be an heir. But he also points out his promises and his goodness and and how he's rescuing us and pursuing us through his son, Jesus Christ. Did you not hear that in the Ezekiel reading and just pierced by by God's broken heart over the sin of his people? But then also in the Philippians reading, we hear about this, this humble Son of God who descended from heaven, achieved victory over sin upon the cross, and now ascended back into heaven where he rules over the entire cosmos. We hear the grace and the promises of God every single Sunday through Holy Scripture. And then what do we do? Well, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given the ability to respond in faith to what we have just heard. So we stand and together in faith, we we declare what we believe in the words of the Nicene Creed. That is this this statement of what Christians have believed for the majority of, uh, across the globe and the majority of time. And so we, by faith, declare our belief as a response to God graciously at work in our lives. But we see this pattern again in the liturgy of confession. We pause and we quiet our hearts and we ask the Holy Spirit to examine us and to bring to light particular sins that we might be struggling with. And then we hear the pastor stand up and, and pronounce God's forgiveness over us. That is the grace that God provides for us. And then by faith, how do we respond? Well, we stand up as those who've been reconciled to God, and we are reconciled with one another. We exchange peace with one another. In, in, in faith, in, in the boldness of the Holy Spirit, we extend peace to one another. So again, we see that pattern of sin, grace, and faith. Thirdly, we see it at the liturgy of the table where we hear the gospel proclaimed clearly in those Eucharistic prayers. But there also, we pray, we acknowledge our sin. We say, Father, may you forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses. So again, we we acknowledge our sin before a holy God, and we, we plead for him to act. And then in grace, he does. He sets a table for us. He feeds us with spiritual food, with his own presence. And by faith, we come and we receive from him. We experience that presence, and we're formed more into his likeness, sin, grace, faith. We repeat this pattern over and over. We ourselves, brothers and sisters, are, are practicing, are exercising our salvation. We're working out our salvation as, as we come and enter here every single week so that when we go into the world, we've, we've been formed and, and we can also, um, in our own prayers, go through that same cycle again. We are working out our salvation as children of the King. So what's the work that needs to be done in your life? What salvation are you pursuing today? What do you need to be freed from? What prison are you in right now? What chains are holding you back? What guilt is consuming you? Perhaps the salvation is, maybe this is the first time that you've even heard this. Jesus Christ wants you to be free from these things. And he's he's given us the way through his cross and resurrection. He's paved the way for us to experience salvation with him. Or maybe you may have been a Christian for your whole life and this is a, a, a new moment, a new opportunity for you to take up your cross, to, to work out your salvation in the fellowship of others with the, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Maybe anger is taken hold of your heart and you find it difficult to keep that in check. Maybe you despair over all of the evil in the world and you need reassurance that, that King Jesus still sits upon the throne. Or maybe you need the help of God, of, of His Holy Spirit, to forgive someone who seriously hurt you. What work of salvation do you need to experience in your life right now? Because by the power of the cross and by the fellowship of the church, by the equipping of the Holy Spirit, God has given you the resources to experience that salvation. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord, that while we were broken and worn down and and lost, Lord Christ, that you came and found us, that you saw us from afar, Lord, and, and because of your abundant love, Lord, you came and you pursued us and you lifted us up, you washed us clean, Lord, you forgave us our sins, and you've welcomed us into your household. So, Lord, I pray that as we go forth from here, that we might continue to explore and delight in your salvation, that we might find new ways to experience it in our own hearts, Lord, personally but also corporately as a church. Lord, may restoration be a salvation church. Lord, may we be a gospel church. May we be a place that proclaims that this is where sins can be forgiven and people can enter into a wholeness of you, of knowing you and the beauty of, of life with you, Lord Christ. So, Lord, move among us, Lord. Form us more into your likeness. We ask all of this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.